worship the risen Savior.
bleeding for by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the sun sets free, oh, is free.
God, to just to celebrate you, Lord. You rose from the dead. God, that you are victorious, that you are the living one. But Jesus, you are seated at the right hand of the throne of God, the great intercessor, interceding for us, Lord. That God, you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your son, Jesus. That no greater love than this, God, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. And God, that's what you did for us. By sending your one and only Son, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. God, you're no longer in the tomb. 
about on that third day you rose. (laughs) And now the hope that we can have, the freedom that is found in Christ, no longer bound by shame and guilt, or mastered or enslaved by sin. But for those who are truly in Christ have been liberated, born again of a new nature, of the Spirit of God, adopted and grafted into your family, God, given the right to call you Abba, to call you Daddy. And the hope that we have of your return, Father, that that hope that we have in Christ would never disappoint us. Father, we thank you. We praise you, Father. And I pray for those, God, that would be among us today or, God, even listening to the podcast later, God, who really, truly do not have that hope. God, that salvation will come forth. Lord, that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That they would come to have a a belief and a confession that you are the Son of God and that you rose from the dead. And they would recognize, God, that they're a sinner in need of repentance. So, Father, work among us and in us and through us, Father, ultimately for your glory. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen Amen and amen. Good morning. Application is what we're talking about this year. It's a word I'm holding up in front of us every opportunity I have that we are gathering. Now hear the, the, the definition. Sustained effort, hard work, application, to apply, to give one's full attention to a task, to work hard. And as we think about this Resurrection Sunday, that Jesus was resurrected, the hope that we have in that, We come not to gather today for a king that is still in the tomb or the son of God still in a tomb. Our message is just not the cross. The Bible says if our message was just the cross, we would be fools, utter fools. You see, in the natural mind before Christ, in our natural minds, the message of the cross is foolishness. A resurrected king, Messiah, is foolishness. But God is pleased to reveal himself to us. God is pleased to remove the veil from our eyes. The Bible says that for those who do not believe, that they're blinded by the enemy. For many years I lived blinded by the enemy. For many years I went to Easter services, drunk, hung over from the night before being in the club sitting there watching all the Christians do what they do and was never impacted by it. My heart was so far from God. My heart was so against Christianity. But yet there I sat. Because my mother invited me. I had to go. (laughs) But you see, even then in those moments that we find ourselves in places... Hearing the word of God, those are seeds being planted. Those are seeds being watered. Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that will bring forth the harvest. 
Because listen, in and of ourselves, I, I keep reminding us, in and of ourselves, we would not wake up and say, today I'll follow Jesus. Or I want to know a little bit more about Jesus. In and of yourself, your nature would never seek him. That's what the Bible tells us. We are all born into this nature that is at war with his throne. And that's what I've been telling us over the past month or so. Like, until you recognize that you are an enemy of God, you will never recognize him as God. Amen. Because we are born in a nature that says we're God. We may want the little bit of truths here and there, because the depths of our being, every single one of us, there is a depth of our being that looks up. But then we create what we want. To satisfy us. And yet nothing temporal will ever satisfy us. This is the the understanding of why the word of God is alive and active. From Genesis to Revelation, God weaves his, his story, his redemption, his redemptive story, his story, the greatest love story that could ever be possibly penned. God gives it to us. And he says, look, this is what I've done. And I know, I know people say, well, man wrote the Bible. Man penned it, but God inspired it. It's the living word of God. It's the theme that is woven in throughout. Because man, you can't give credit to men. There's no way of all the different centuries, of all the different times that lapsed, that could pen a book that could transform lives. And it all makes sense. Everything about it is happening. Prophecies are being fulfilled time and time and time and time and time again. But God, inspired by the the Holy Spirit, inspired these men to pen this incredible, transformative, transformative story that takes an individual creation, created men and women who are at war with the throne of God and then begins to reveal to them there is a God. And that reveals the nature of our very being. And then what do we do with that nature once that is revealed? Unfortunately, a lot of people, and unfortunately, many years of my life, I rejected it. I didn't want to hear it. It didn't make sense to me. But let me tell you something. When that veil is removed and you see yourself as an enemy of God, you understand that old nature. You understand that that you're living out of your desires, your wants, your needs. The Bible says, where does sin come from? It comes from the desires that are from within. That old nature wants to keep feasting off the temporalness of life. And yet God says, no, I've got a plan for you. I've got a plan for your life. A plan to prosper you and not to harm you. A plan to give you a hope and a future. And so when we recognize Isaiah, we talked about Isaiah a few months ago. Isaiah, the great man of God, the prophet of God, has this vision. He is before the throne of God. And what happens? He says, oh, 
wretched man. Like, oh, he, he sees himself as doomed because of the holiness of God. But then God provided a means to cleanse him. And as soon as he was cleansed from his position of being humbled, he hears, God said, who then shall we send? Isaiah stands up, here I am, Lord, send me. And as it is with the Christians today, when you see yourself before a holy God or before you're a Christian, and that nature, in that sinful nature, in that flesh, you see yourself, you humble yourself, I'm doomed. What hope do we have? Jesus, the resurrected Christ. It is through Him and Christ alone, the resurrected Christ, that we find ourselves no longer bound by shame and guilt, but liberated to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Send me out among a generation that's wicked and perverse, that I may walk upright for your kingdom and for your glory. See, your whole life is changed because now you're born of the Spirit. Jesus himself says you must be born again, not religious, not just go to church, do all the different works, but to truly be born again of a different nature. Of a different nature. That's the Spirit of God. The liberation and the freedom that we find in the risen Savior. The hope that we have that we can rejoice and know that we are secured in Christ, our Creator. I'm telling you to walk upright and confident, not in and of yourselves, but in Christ. To truly be delivered, set free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. He didn't do a half a work on you. No, he did a whole work in Christ. Because ultimately your salvation has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the risen Savior. And so when we think about application, when I think about the many times I sat there and I heard the story over and over and over and over, and it never pierced my heart. Okay, that's nice. That's nice. Whatever. But let me tell you, when it pierces your heart, when it grabs you, You can't help but to see your condition and humble yourself. Listen, he's not Jesus still in the manger. He's not Jesus still on the cross. He's not still Jesus in the tomb. No, he's the resurrected Jesus. He's alive. He's alive. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible says he's interceding for us now. And we could never apply if there was never a resurrection. We can work hard, trust me. We can labor hard doing religious works. But those works amount to nothing. When you are born again of this new nature, of the Spirit of God. You know, the Bible says that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is within you. If you're truly a Christian. And now it's a process of sanctification. It's a process that the Holy Spirit, whom we've been given, is working within us, bringing forth conviction, bringing forth transformation. We're not, our position now, if you're truly a Christian, is not to still be at war with God, demanding your rights. I want to keep the bad attitude. I want to keep these desires. I want to do me. 
That's not the Christian. Christian is one who's been born again of a new nature. Yet that old nature is still there. The Bible says in Galatians, it wars against the spirit. But what you feed breeds and what you starve dies. The Bible tells us how to recognize that old man, that old woman, nailed to his cross. And so the application that I've been talking about, the application that I'm encouraging all of us in, is if you're truly born again, then walk in the Spirit. Because <laughs> the Bible says if you begin to walk in the Spirit habitually, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. I'm tired of the message of a cheap cross, of a cheap resurrection. I'm tired of Christ being made so common that he has no power, no authority. No, he's God. He's God. And application has to take place in our life. Not because we're forced to. No, I remember when I finally surrendered completely. I asked the Lord, how now then shall I live? Because I don't know how to live this way. I don't know what to do. I know what I would want to do. I know what my desires are. I know what I like. But God, I know that's against you. So God, I don't even know where to begin. I'm just going to trust you. Now, Father, this is what your word says. And all through his word, you see application. All, as we're reading scripture, that's all you keep hearing. You put on Christ. You stop lying and start telling the truth. Now, there's a way to walk. There's a way to allow the spirit of God whom you received, God himself in you, to live this new life out, you all. And that's really what it is. It's a new life. It's a new life. Not, yet, not chained and yoked to what's behind you, but set free. You've heard me say, those who've been here for quite some time, Jesus himself says, peace I leave you. Peace I give you. The peace in which I give you, the world cannot offer you. Peace. And what is this peace? Wholeness. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Are you living as a broken person? Think about your week. Think about your morning. And it's not a message about perfectionism. Because you're never going to be perfect until you're with him. But you ought to be maturing. And if wholeness has been given to us, then why would I continue to choose brokenness? Why would I continue to allow that which is against Christ to define my life and to define my mind? Because as you think, the Bible says, so you go. And remember, the Bible says, how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. It is a process now that ultimately we are living unto Christ. And so when we think about application, oh, the Christian life is hard work. I can't say it enough. The applying truth, because just living, walking by the Spirit, it does not come natural. But the more you do it, it becomes your dominant nature. Because remember, you have this realm, a realm in which you cannot see, but is at war against your very soul. You have the world system that loves nothing more than to entangle you with its wants, needs, and desires of you. And then you have your own nature, that old nature that is at war with God 
that says, I'm God. I'll live for myself. I want my desires. I want my will. I want my way. Each and every single day, these three are against the very nature of Christ. And you're not going to get up each and every single day feeling like you want to walk in the Spirit. That's why you must apply truth. You must apply truth. What is truth? Truth is a person, not a concept. Truth is Jesus. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And yet we have a generation who thinks truth is a concept. (laughs) It's your truth. It's my truth. It's his truth. It's her truth. Everyone's got their own truth. But that's in the natural carnal mind. The temporal mind. And you understand the temporalness of life, your very old nature. I keep sharing this with us. The very old nature that you're demanding to, your rights to live out of is just dying. And that's all it knows to do is die. And you're literally demanding your rights for death. For what? Because when your eyes are open, when you realize, why am I settling living on this realm? When I was created for this realm. Like he has created us for eternity. And we're settling for the temporalness. Not the eternal. You weren't created just for the temporalness of life. You were created for the eternal. For Christ. And yet we have the wrong image of God. Like it's God's fault. Like somehow it's all his problem. God, when you get to know him, because he's pleased to reveal himself to us through Jesus, when you understand what Jesus went through for you, like when you recognize that, wait a minute, you're actually a God of love? But yet in that love, yet you're still a God of wrath because you're still holy. Like wherever you see his love, you see his wrath. Wherever you see his wrath, you see his love. He's holy. That's why he can't be made common. And we have a generation of so-called Christians today reconstructing the faith to make it easier for the temporal people who are lost. That can never be done. And it's it's been tried since the garden. When the enemy came into Eve and said, did God really say? Like you doubt God. And it will lead you further from him. And he's a God of love that says, I love you enough. And we read it in Romans 1 already when we open up the book of Romans. Lest we forget. The Bible says that God is angry at sin. And so if sin is what you want then God will turn you over to it. Have at it. Have at it. But why would you want that? So I always tell people, why would you choose the wrath of God over the love of God? The risen Christ, you all. The risen Christ. To be born again and then to depend on him. I've told 25 years now I've been 
in Christ, and I don't get up. It's not a day I don't get up to recognize, no, you're an old dead man. Because dead men have no rights. And when I see I go through my day giving myself the right to anything, I go, oh, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit's quick to convict. But it's been a process of growth. In my beginning years, it may have taken me a day or three or a month or two to finally feel the weight of the conviction. Like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Like, oh, I'm sorry. And just applying truth. So to apply. Applying the Bible is the duty of all Christians. If we don't apply it, apply it, the Bible becomes nothing more to us than a normal book. An impractical collection of old manuscripts. That's why Paul says, whatever you have learned or have received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. When we apply the Bible, God himself will be with us. The degree to which we study, memorize, and meditate on God's word is the degree to which we will understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding how the word applies is not enough. We must actually apply it. Because in the book of James, it tells us you just can't be hearers of the word of God. You must be doers of it. It's the living word. It's putting hands and feet on it, empowered by the Holy Spirit, not depending upon yourself. There's a lot of people sitting in church Churches today, trying so hard to be good. And their effort is useless. It's useless. Unless you were born again. Unless you were born again of the Spirit of God. It's all in vain. But to truly apply the Word of God. Not just hear it. But to depend upon Him. That's why I love reminding God of His promises. I've been praying it for 25 years. God, you're not man that you should lie. And the work you've begun in me, Father, you are faithful to complete it. God, your word says that you would not neglect the work of your hands. And Father, I'm the work of your hands. I don't understand the circumstances that I'm in. But God, I'm in it for a purpose and for a reason. And so whatever is needed through it, God, here I am. So many times we, 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 we want God to lift off the trial. We don't want to go through it. It's the natural man, the natural woman. But if we're truly walking with God, if we're truly born again of the Spirit, then we understand what the Word of God says. That trials come. They're there to produce something in your life. And I've said it for many years now. The problem in the church today is that we're, not, we're, we're quitters. We give up too easy. We go back to the old way, doing the old stuff. And the Bible says that, no, you're to be persevering. See, trials come. Issues happen in life to bring forth something from your life. Perseverance. And perseverance, character. How many Christians are lacking character today? I I taught y'all on integrity months ago. And the definition of integrity, again, wholeness. We're to be be people being transformed. A continual process to be people of integrity, people of character. And yet the world is going to hate us. Because they hated Christ. 
But as you're persevering, as your character is being formed, hope is established. And that hope is in Jesus. And as I prayed earlier, that hope in Jesus, the Bible says, will never disappoint us. Our circumstances may disappoint us. People may disappoint us. But Jesus will never disappoint us. So there's a way in which we ought to be living. Like I believe with everything within me that he is resurrected. That he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I've grown to know him more and more intimately through his word. Through his word. Just don't take it from man or or woman or anyone else sharing the truth with you. You go. Open up the word. Because God is pleased to reveal himself to us. His purpose. His plan. My God, if you've been here for quite some time, you, you should know it. Because you see it through Genesis, through Revelation, God's plan to have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. That's his plan. That's been his plan from the beginning. Unless we think the cross was an afterthought. No, the cross was always purposed even before he breathed into Adam. It was always purposed. Love was going to be displayed to all creation. And nothing was going to stop it. God's plan is his plan. And when your eyes are open to him, you're like, ah, come on, God. You live differently. You live differently. Application implies action. And obedient action is the final step in causing God's word to come to life in our lives. The application of Scripture enforces and further enlightens our study, and it also serves to sharpen our discernment. Helping us, and this is the ultimate goal as a Christian, to better distinguish between good and evil. You see, you can't distinguish between good and evil unless the veil's been removed. See, once the veil is removed, ah, You don't settle for evil any longer. You don't give in to those desires any longer. Oh no, I see you. And that's why one of my common phrases you've heard me say a lot is, are you talking to yourself? Because if you're a Christian, if you're not talking to yourself, I'm not sure what you're doing. You ought to be preaching yourself happy. Oh, it's good to come on a Sunday when you feel like it. But you ought to be preaching to yourself daily. I've always encouraged you. It should be a message for you first before you try to preach it to others. To really encourage yourself, to uphold truth for yourself, to surrender daily to his authority. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And somehow we've made Christianity this hard pressed lie. Oh, it's no fun. And we're missing out on all that God has for us. He has risen you all. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, how I pray that you're knowing. Your your Christian life is not going to be an easy life. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble. Be of good cheer though. I've already overcame the world. Think about the decisions you've made this week or even this morning so far. Did you discern between good and evil? Did you let God lead you? Or was your flesh still in control? 
Are you still opening up doors into this realm? Because the Bible says you give the enemy a foothold and he's going to develop a stronghold. And strongholds are patterns of thought that you believe in that are contrary to truth. That's how the enemy engages, his tactics, his warfare. That's why the Bible says you ought to be teachers by now but yet we constantly have to go back to the foundations of Christianity. No, come on. We are at war. But the good news is, you say, what do I do, Pastor, if I have strongholds? Well, the Bible says he's given us the weapons of our warfare to demolish them. It means you have to apply truth. You have to target it with truth. You have to let yourself, no, no, that's no, that's not who you are any longer. I'm not going that way any longer. I'm going this way with Christ. I'm taking him at his word. And let me tell you something. Listen, I keep telling you all this too. People are open for spiritual conversation because there is something happening on this earth. Just talk to anybody. I mean, there's something happening on this earth. But I'm going to tell you this, it's not another religion. That it's got it right. right. Except Christianity. Open the Bible. Look at the prophecies. Look at everything happening like this. Boom, 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 boom. Something shifted in this realm. And I keep telling you, that realm and this world is preparing the platform for the Antichrist. This leader who's going to step out, he's going to do signs and wonders. He's going to deceive. He's going, I mean, the the level of deception that's rising up on this earth. And you think that you're just going to be a kumbaya Christian? We're all just marching into heaven? I'm going to live however I want? No, no, no. You see, a lot of people say, Robbie, take it too serious. How How am I to take it? That's right. Amen. Like, this is who I am now. I died to myself. I have to die daily. No. Listen. You got to get right with God, you all. I can't force you. I don't know why we're still resisting him. I don't know what in this temporal world satisfies you. I can tell you it doesn't. You say, how, how do you know that? Because you keep looking for something else. That's right. Amen. Go from one thing to another thing, to another yeah. addiction, to another relationship, to this, to that, to this, to that, to this religion, to that religion, to this belief and that belief. And you're all around, up and down, left and right. That's right. <laughs> Trust me, when you come to Christ, I ain't searching no longer. That's right. I've got all that I need in Christ. Whole, I'm complete. And I got to take that old man sometimes to the mirror and remind him, oh, I know you, I see you, but let me remind you. You're nailed to his cross. And I will live for Christ in Christ alone. I will fight the good fight. I will endure. I will run the race. That was set before me. I'm not looking for an easy path. 
Because if you gave me an easy path, what good would that be? I could do that on my own. No, he leads us. And that's why Jesus says, follow me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. It's a walk of death that leads to life. It doesn't make sense to the natural man. But this is our God, you all. Jesus, crucified, beaten. For you, for me. We endured, we, we should have endured what he endured. But just don't take it as the physical suffering that he went through. Do you know what he cried out from the cross? Besides, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And praise God that he announced that from the cross. But do you hear the agony in his voice? As he was hanging there, body ripped apart. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did that for you. What do you think the night before he was praying in the garden? Deep groans, drops of blood. God, take this cup from me. My father, there's no other way than your will be done. He knew why he was coming. And he knew how the majority would treat him. He knew that he would suffer. But what kept him going is he knew that third day was coming. That he was going, and listen to this carefully, if you didn't hear anything else today, that sin and death are defeated now. Sin is no longer your master if you're a Christian. You no longer have to fear death. If you're a Christian, <laughs> like sin is defeated. So you have to ask yourself why I'm still bound to it. Because I know the good phrase that everyone loves to say I'm just a sinner. <laughs> no, that's you used to be. Your identity is in Christ now. But I still sin. Yeah, in 1 John. That's why you got to know the word, you all. 1 John says, I write this so that you will not sin. But if you do remember, remember what? No, not what, who? Jesus. (laughs) He's interceding for you. Humble yourself. Why Christians are sitting with hidden sin and allowing sin just to keep ruling and mastering them, I can't get it. Because I keep encouraging you all. True freedom comes from true transparency first before God and then before others. Because once I'm secured there, once my guilt and shame has been cleansed from here, I can care less if you still hold it against me. 
I'm free. My past no longer defines me. There's a way which you get up and you start living. Your insecurities don't keep shackling you down. You understand how to get up and move forward, onward, until you're called home. And you say, but what do I do with sin? Well, the Bible tells you, throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. It's that easy? Yes, not because of you, but because of Christ. Why do you continue to go that way? Why do you continue deal with the issues in life, give them to Christ and be healed? So many of us are still looking back. And Jesus says, listen, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for my kingdom. These are Jesus's words. And that's why Jesus even says, before you come and follow me, yeah, yeah, I love the hip hop and hoop hoop and everything else that excites you. But before you come to follow me, consider the cost because it's going to cost you everything. He said, but Rob, you say this all the time. Well, what else do you want? There's nothing I can add to his word. It's his word. It's all that we have. It transforms your life. Be discipled. You gotta get in the word. Go to John. John chapter one, which is one through eighteen. Yes, Lord. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Oh, how we should highlight that and circle that. God sent man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created. Oh, but look at this. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all, look at this, to all who what? Believe. Him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. 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 <laughs> Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human. Jesus, you all. And made his home among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the Father, one and only Son, 
John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's. Here's something else you want to highlight and and take away. But God's unfailing love and faithfulness. So the next time you have a wrong image of God, would you correct yourself? He's a God of love and a God of faithfulness. And he came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. This is the purpose of Jesus, you all. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved, so God gave. His one and only Son. (laughs) Remember the, the scripture, if you go down... Jesus says, it says about Jesus that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. And a lot of people just hang there. But don't hang on that scripture. Go on to the next one. No, he came to save the world. Because the world already stands condemned. So when we make Jesus out to be this weird hippie, just passing out hugs and muffins... We're not even truly seeing him for who he is. Like he came to accomplish salvation through his own body. A payment had to be made for sin. He is the final sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this freedom can only be found through Christ. And this is the hope that we have for today. I'm going to play this eyewitness account for us. So pay attention. And then we'll get back, close our time out in the Word. to abandon him now. In the 
entirety of history, there has never been a week like this before or since. This monumental week started when a group of women visited the tomb of Jesus and found it empty. The dead Jesus had come back to life. There were several women there, including Jesus' mother and me, Mary Magdalene. I had followed Jesus faithfully since he had cast seven spirits out of me. We were exhausted, both mentally and physically. We only had a few hours sleep the previous night as the men woke us up after Jesus had been taken by the Jewish leaders. We stayed outside while Jesus was tried before the high priest, before the Zen angel, and before Pilate and Herod. We tried to quiet the crowd stirred up by the Jewish leaders, but our pleas had no effect. We were a devoted group, but a group of women. We watched the bloody Jesus carry his cross a short way before Simon of Cyrene had to help him. We followed as close as possible while the soldiers led him to Golgotha, laid him on the cross, and beat the nails into his hand and feet. Shuddering and all clustered together when the cross dropped into the hole in the ground. We listened to the two thieves on the other crosses berate Jesus, though one later changed his ways. Earlier, Mary, the mother of Jesus, got a new son when Jesus entrusted her to John. He had come by briefly. We heard Jesus say a few things through his clenched teeth and heaving lungs. Saw him get speared by the soldier. We watched his dead body get carried off by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. We followed them to the tomb saw them place the body in the tomb and waited until the stone was levered into place. It was over. We should have gone back into town to get ready to celebrate Passover. We women, we had to prepare. But Jewish rituals were abhorrent to us at this moment. Together, we sat in the darkness across from the tomb and prayed. Unlike the disciples, the men, we were able to stay awake and pray. Allow me to let you in on a little secret. During that whole ordeal, none of us, including Jesus' mother, wailed or cried as Jewish women typically did at the death of a loved one. We had full confidence that Jesus would make things right, as he had always done. We didn't know how or when, but we knew he would. That's why we stayed while the men abandoned Jesus. They did not yet have full faith in Jesus. We had no other options. The next day, Saturday, we rested and tried to celebrate the Passover as best we could. Against the rules of the Pharisees, I went around the city and gathered the things that would be needed to prepare the body of Jesus for the final burial. It proved difficult because nobody wanted to work or sell things on the Sabbath. But I was very persuasive. I knew that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had done their best, but neither of them had ever prepared a body for burial. That type of work was typically reserved for women. I heard that soldiers had arrived to further secure the tomb. The Jewish leaders were worried that the disciples would steal the body and claim Jesus was resurrected. 
So they convinced Pilate to make sure that didn't happen. He instructed them to take a guard, seal the tomb, and post soldiers to make sure nothing happened. Before dawn on Sunday, we gathered our things and headed to the tomb. And we left quietly so as not to wake the others. I didn't have a clue what I was going to do when I got there. I mean, how could I roll back the stone? But the Holy Spirit urged me to go anyway. We arrived just as light was breaking, and I was sure nothing worse could happen than what had already happened. That's when the violent earthquake hit. Mary and I went to our knees. We saw a streak of light. It was a blinding light and an angel. An angel appeared before the tomb. It was giant and wore clothes as, as white as snow. And with, with a flick of its finger, the stone in front of the tomb was rolled back. The guards at the tomb fainted and they were petrified with fear. It was, it was like they were dead. The angel said to us, do not be afraid. We knew then that this was a true angel because that's what they often say when meeting humans. He is not here. He is risen as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. We stumbled into the tomb and saw the grave clothes laying there. But no body. The tomb had no body in it. The angel continued. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and is going to Galilee. There you will see him. If you ever talk to an angel, you will obey him immediately, just as we did. Stepping over the soldiers, we rushed to tell the disciples. The angel entrusted women to take the news of Jesus' resurrection. Can you believe it? The soldiers had recovered sufficiently. And while we went to the disciples, they went to the Jewish officials. The Jewish leaders bribed the soldiers to tell everyone that the disciples had stolen the body of Jesus. Nobody needed an eyewitness like me to tell them the untruth in that statement. The soldiers would have been executed if such a thing had happened, and everyone knew it. Their very lives were a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. We got to the disciples, and they could not believe our news. Peter ran to the tomb to find out, but he was outrun by the younger John. John arrived, ate in the cave, and saw the grave clothes laying in a heap as if a body just dematerialized through them. Peter came panting up and rushed by John into the tomb. He not only saw the grave clothes laying on the ground, but he saw the headpiece folded up. That is when he believed. No soldier would have taken the time to fold it. Peter and John returned to the disciples and gave them the incredible news. The body of Jesus was gone. What happened to me? I went back to the tomb to pray. As I stood outside praying and crying, I bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels seated where Jesus' body had been. They asked why I was crying. I was incredulous at their question. They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they put him. There was a noise, and I turned, and it was the gardener. I asked him where he had put the body, if indeed he had moved it. 
then one word changed everything. One word announced a change in the entire course of history. That one word was my name. Mary. It was Jesus. I rushed to hold him. I never wanted for him to leave me again. He told me not to hold on, but to go tell the others, which I did. Jesus had indeed risen. Jesus was alive. I went back to tell all the others, including the women. But honestly, I did not really expect any of them to believe me. But not long after that, Jesus appeared to Peter and then to the rest of the apostles. He eventually appeared to over 500 believers. And like the teacher he always was, Jesus opened their eyes to the meaning of the scripture they had read their entire lives. He proved to them that he was the Messiah. Based on what you know about me, you can probably guess what I did next. I went back to Galilee with the rest of the disciples and got to spend the next several weeks around them and the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're wondering about something. The same thing I used to wonder about. Why did Jesus pick me, a woman? A woman formerly possessed with seven demons to be the first person to know about his resurrection? Why me? Consider this instead. Why has he chosen you to know about him? Why do you get to have a Bible and hear the gospel story? Why do you get to see him through the lives of his followers? Why do you get to know the same thing I know? He is alive. Jesus is alive. testimony of the resurrected Christ. It points us to the hope that we have in Christ. And I've always said this throughout the years. And I love how she kept the actress kept bringing it home through scripture. It's not of her own words. Christianity is the only religion that liberates women. Every other religion out there enslaves them. When man is leading the church, they enslave women. (laughs) But Christ came to exalt them, to bring them up from the despair that they found, especially in that time. These women were the first to announce the resurrection of Christ. So Christianity, again, liberates all classes of people, male, female, all races. And in Christianity, in the resurrected Christ, we are one. We serve now Christ. Not what was old, not what used to define us, but we're one in Christ. And the hope that we have in Christ. We share the story over and over and over and over. The gospel. How God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And it's only through Christ that mankind, the created being, can be liberated. 
to know Christ, to live for Christ, to go forth and declare the good news of the resurrected Christ. This is our role if you're a Christian. This is what we've been called to. This is what we've been entrusted with, to go forth out into a world that is at war with the throne of God. (laughs) And not by our might, nor by our power, but by the Spirit of God in us, we go forth and we declare the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So the hope of the resurrection. Go to John 11. Got a few scriptures. So hopes to encourage you this week to think upon the resurrection and the hope that you can have in the resurrected Christ. John 11, verse 25 through 26. Jesus told her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. Again, it's that hope of eternal life. It is because of what Christ has accomplished. You know, we think about Good Friday. And we wonder, what's so good about Good Friday? Because Good Friday points to Resurrection Sunday. That's why it's good. Yes, it's horrible what he had to endure. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It reveals the goodness of our God. That he gave up his own son. To take upon what we deserved in order for us to be reconciled back to the Father. That's why Romans 5.1 tells us, therefore now you are at peace with God through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Do you have peace today, you all? The peace, the wholeness, the hope. Are you sharing this with others? Are you living a life full of expectancy? Say yes, God. Like we're preparing for his return. As I said earlier, this realm and the world is preparing the platform for the Antichrist, but the church, Christians, we're to be preparing for the return of Christ. The true Christ. Remember that the enemy only does counterfeits. And that's why the Bible tells us that we must guard our hearts and our mind. Well, the Bible says that you are to be on guard, alert, because your enemy is roaring, prowling, prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to roar so we become paralyzed and go no further. But listen, we must rise up. And the only way we get up is because of the hope that we have. If you truly believe that Jesus is resurrected, If he's not resurrected, then there is no hope. 
But it's because he rose from the dead, he has defeated the power of sin and death. And oh, the hope that we can have. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Again, I give you these scriptures in hopes to encourage yourself. Go talk to yourself this week. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. Let that just sit there for a second. Because I remember back in the days before I was a Christian... It all was foolishness to me. And I was heading for destruction. That's like anyone else who is resisting God and think his message is foolishness. I mean, you're testifying against yourself. It's not his message that's foolish, it's you. You're a fool. The Bible says that you willingly choosing to continue to go your way, demanding your rights for the temporalness of life that's just passing away. Here today, gone tomorrow. And listen, once you take your last breath, that's it. There's no repentance going to be done. That's it. Life is fragile. But life can be lived to the fullness. Remember, Jesus says, it's the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you may have life and life in abundance. A whole life. Like This is the call to all who would believe. To all who would come to the saving knowledge. The message of the cross is foolish. But they're heading for destruction. But listen to the last part. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Those who are being saved know it's the very power of God at work to save the created. To be for an eternity with Him. Let the world keep spinning out of control. The Bible says that we're to be rooted, grounded, that our foundation is to be firm. That God is for us, he's not against us. That Jesus himself even prayed in the garden before he was crucified, Father, protect them. He says, I don't want you to take them out of the world. No, leave them in it. But protect them by the name that I've been given. This is our king. This is our God. Do you know him this way? <laughs> like he's just not a religion. He's just not a thought, a good feeling, a good vibe. <laughs> no, he's a person. He's God. He's Lord of all. King of kings, Lord of lords, the alpha and the omega, the omega, the beginning and the end. Like it's all in Him. It's all through Him. This is who we're talking about this morning. 
This is the hope in which we can have in the resurrection. Go to, stay in 1 Corinthians, but go to verse 5, chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. And listen, understand who, I mean, this letter is for all of us. But it was, it was written to the church in Corinth. Paul was writing to a church in a city that was utterly grotesque and perverse. The things that were going on in Corinth, the temple prostitutes, the males and the females, the sexuality that was taking place, the perversion that was running amok, People giving themselves over to anything and to everything. And yet God sent Paul to go establish a church there. And we want to have a wrong concept of God. Listen, if he was such a bad God, like we all make him out to be, he would have let them be. But God so loved. God so loved. So I love how it ended. Don't ask me why me, like, why you? Why are you sitting here today hearing yet another opportunity of the resurrected Christ? It's not by choice. You didn't design it. But God purposed it. He's yet given us another opportunity. So that's why when you stand before him, you're without excuse. You can't say, but God, where? No, he's always been there. In fact, always since the womb, he formed you, he fashioned you, he purposed you, he created you in the most delicate places. He numbered the hairs on your head. He planned you. You weren't a mistake. You weren't an accident. God knew you. God purposed you. God planned you for this generation. I keep encouraging us in that. Listen, <laughs> this generation isn't to break you, to make you panic and anxious and all this other stuff. <laughs> Trust me, I lived it. I know it. <laughs> but man, when you have the wholeness of Christ and you say, God, this is much bigger than me and I have a purpose, not one I designed of myself, but that you purposed for me. God, I want to know you. I'm going to get up today and I'm going to live for you. My God, this isn't by accident. Like you prepared me for this generation. So just as chaotic and as darkened this generation is becoming more and more and more and more. God purposed. We still have breath in our body. You have a purpose to go forth and to be the light. To be his hands and his feet to walk with him, to know him, to begin to see his kingdom advance, to begin to utilize the gifts that he's given you to bring about his purpose. Because remember the new phrase I've been holding up since it was dropped in me, we're to be the people of God, doing the will of God for the glory of God. It's not about us any longer. It's about him. God, what do you have for us? So when we think of this, like it was written to this place that a lot of religious people will turn up their nose at and look down on. 
God doesn't do that. God sees us right where we're right we right where we are at. I mean, I keep telling you all, I was the darkest of the darkest. I mean, you all have your own sin, your own issues. But I mean, some of the things I've done. Ugh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Like I, sh- I shouldn't be here. I'm an uneducated man. And yet this, I felt like I've been in seminary my whole life because the Holy Spirit's just yes. teaching. Because he's given us a hunger and a thirst. And you say, but I'm not hungry and a thirsting. Well, you haven't asked for it. Like this weird, like, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian. Say a little prayer, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian. And it's leading people to hell thinking they're saved. People have a false reality of salvation. Like everyone's going into heaven. That's not what the Bible says. So we've got to wake up. It's an all-out war. And your purpose for it in this generation, just stand up and declare Just look what's happening. So Paul goes forth. The church is birthed. They're coming from all different backgrounds, lifestyles, and everything. And Paul's reminding them of their new identity. That's why I always encourage you. You want to know about the Christian life? Read from Acts the Jude. It's basically giving us the same message. Grow up. Mature. Remember who Christ is and who you are through him. And so now Paul's reminding this church of the resurrection of Christ. He's bringing them back to the basics. And he says, I passed on to you, verse 3, what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers. At one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time. This is Paul reminding them. He's the resurrected Christ. If you read the letters to to the Corinth church, these first and second books of Corinthians. I would challenge you to go read them this week. Sit down. And listen, I've always encouraged you, please just don't pick up the Bible and start reading it in your own strength. Like, humble yourself before God. Lord, if this is the living word, then I can only understand it and receive it by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says he has to go away so that he will come. Who? The Holy Spirit. He's your teacher. He's your guide. He's your counselor. He empowers you to live this out. And that's why the Bible says you're not to live a life that grieves the Holy Spirit. Yes, God has emotions. You're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. You're to walk in step with him. Because you're filled with him. And there's a way in which you ought to be living now. And it's as unto Christ. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 
<laughs> this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Again, the hope of the resurrection. Everything of your past. Listen, I've shared with y'all over and over, and when I'm sitting down, I'm counseling with people. Listen, you all. You have to hear what Scripture says. That old life is done with. If you're truly a Christian, and the joy that comes from that understanding is you're no longer bound by shame, guilt, and condemnation. You're liberated. What about all my mistakes? What about all that I've done? It's paid for. That easy? Yeah. Oh no, but I've got to do this and I've got to take these 12 steps. I've got to this and that and this and that. No, no, no. You just got to start walking out truth. You got to start understanding what it means to apply Scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to bring it forth from your life. You reckon yourself dead, but alive to Christ. That Christ is our all in all. Well, he may be that for you, but not for me. Well, that's your choice. Why would you settle for a lesser God? Why would you create him to be someone that he's not? Just because you want to be comfortable in your sin. Like death is approaching. (laughs) And you're still craving it. A crave life. And life can only be found through Christ and this new life. This is a new life, you all. And oh, how I pray that you're experiencing it. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Again, the hope that we have in the resurrection. It says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. You're going to suffer with Christ. But you're to be considering it joy. That doesn't mean you go out there and you look for it. Trust me, it'll come on its own. The world hates Christians, because they hate Christ. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. You're going to be expelled from synagogue. You're going to be rejected by your family. And I keep telling you, ultimately what's going to happen to Christians is you're going to be pushed out of society. And you say, oh, you're an extremist. No, 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 I'm a realist. Because you can look at Scripture and see what it says, and then you can just look at what's happening in the world. The message of the cross is going to be a message, the world is going to see it as a message of hate. You all are the problem. You're spilling all that, spilling all that hatred, causing division. And you just want to come to church when you feel like it. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And you don't even know the first thing to stand for Christ. Do you know what our brothers and sisters, and you say, well, you've said this multiple times. Yeah, I'm going to say it again. Do you know what our brothers and sisters are doing overseas? Do you know what they did this morning when they got up as a family or as an as a individual or as a couple? They had to sit down and look at each other and say, today may be the day 
They may take us in. The little Johnny, doesn't matter that they beat me or they rape your mother or they begin to chop off our body parts. Don't deny Christ. Have to look at each other. Husband and wives, it's going to be our last time together. But don't deny Christ. No matter what happens to me, don't deny Christ. Live for Christ. Because they know good and well when they step out that door, they're already marked as a believer. Their property is being taken away from them, they're losing their jobs. I just posted about this this Christian couple. They went and they destroyed all of their animals. The only resource that they have. They're being burnt out of their homes. (laughs) And look at us here at the West. Still bound by everything and anyone. For what? I mean, they go to these secluded places to worship. They have to travel miles upon miles. Some of them have to walk. Some of them it's uncomfortable. But they go, knowing good and well, if they're found out, they'll be plowed down. And if that doesn't open your spiritual eyes to say, Why would we be killing innocent people who actually contribute to society and kind of keep them themselves, the very productive people, they don't gossip and backbite or cheat or steal, like they're actually giving. They follow their leader. See, in the natural sense, it wouldn't make sense to be killing people who actually contribute to society. So wake up. It's a spiritual war. (laughs) And Jesus himself says, this is what I called you to. You are to go forth. And here's the standard that Jesus puts in place that God holds up. You're to go forth as a Christian and live as Jesus did. Oh, but that's hard. Oh, it is. In and of your flesh. In and of yourself of the natural man or woman. That's why you must be born again of the Spirit. That you're walking in step. That you're using discernment. I mean, for God's sake, six Christians were just plowed down in the elementary school. Shh! Don't talk about it. Shh! Don't even say their names. That's in our own nation. And it's just on the rise. Soon, churches are going to have to make a decision. Are they going to be the government's church? Or are they going to be the Lord's church? Soon, as they're doing up north in Canada, pastors are going to have to submit their sermons to the government to be approved. This is what's happening, you all. Just to the north of us. Pastors are being arrested and thrown in prison up in Canada for preaching the word of God. 
and it's not going to go any better for us here. And he said, but then what hope do we have? The resurrection. (laughs) He's resurrected. This earth is not our home. He tells us. We're just pilgrims passing through. But how is this encouraging? Encourage yourself in it. Because why are you holding so tight to the things of this world? I don't want to go through all Get over that. It is time for the church to rise up and know her position, know her identity. We are preparing for Him. And so what if they push us out of society? God will take care of His people. He's done it since the beginning of time. He's not man that He should lie. If you're quivering, if you're anxious, you don't know your God. And you say, well, that's harsh. No, that's reality. From coming from a mind who can be very anxious. <laughs> but I have learned that when anxiety flares up in me, I'm looking at myself and I'm looking at my circumstances and I'm clinging to that which is temporal. <laughs> oh, but shake it off. And look to him who's eternal. I go, God, come on. Church needs to rise up. We need to understand the hour in which we are meant for. And that we're not going to stand if our foundation is just sand. You're going to give up and give in. You'll be the ones that turn us over to the government. I know where they're meeting. And you say, that's extreme. Oh, come on, you all. Wake up. Wake up. You, you can't even make you can't even make it up. They're telling you, the enemy's telling you what he's doing. The Bible says that in the last days, that many people are going to turn from the faith, which we're seeing now, and they're going to start following doctrines of demons. I mean, we have pastors, worship leaders, people who have been in ministry for years, preaching solid. And then overnight, they're standing in their pulpits, and you just go, what? They've been leading worship for years, drawing people into the presence of God, and now, you just go, what on earth? But it tells us. That's why you must grow. That's why you must mature. That's why you must apply so that you can distinguish between good and evil. And it doesn't take Jesus by surprise because don't forget the men of the hour of his day. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were God's men of their day. But yet their father was the devil. And Jesus himself says, you travel far to win converts, but you make them twice as much the son of hell as you are. So listen, your religious status, your whatever, I'm not even impressed with. I'm impressed with the life that's transformed. That's what it's about. Not perfection, but transformation. You should be able to look at yourself and you should be able to testify to others, I once was, but now I am. Or hey, I'm going through, but I'm believing this is where I'm heading. Instead of sitting all bound up, 
with all your emotions and all the crazy stuff and all the desires and everything else that's running amok in you. But you bring it into life. It's one thing I love about our fellowship and one thing that will always be. People say, why do you do it that way? Because it's the best way for relationship. How many people have walked in here from all walks of life? Just uphold truth to them. Just love them right where they are. I can't change them. I can introduce them to the one who can. I truly believe. That's how Jesus took the 12, built a relationship with them, and sent them out to build relationship. Because he came to serve. And so your position is to be humbled. You're to be a servant, not fighting for position in the church. Not trying to outgift the other. Because remember coming together what it's supposed to be about. Serving one another. How will they know we belong to him? By our love for one another. That's what it's about. And boy, do we need that in the church today. Love. Love for God. Love for others. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out into a world that's so desperately looking for love. I mean, come on. Philippians 3.10, again, just to remind us. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. And oh, the joy that we can have in suffering. Go to Romans 6. Romans 6, coming to a close. Romans 6. We just got to go around about and then we're going to come to a close. Romans 6, chapter 5, I mean, Romans 6, verses 5 through 11. Since we have been united with him in his death, this is your position as a Christian, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves, listen to this, were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we, now, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. Don't miss that. And he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. This is the hope that we have. This is the application that that, that portion of scripture right there should encourage you. And whatever the sin that so easily entangles you this week, throw it off. Don't give in to it. Take the right steps. Take the right course of action. And watch how you'll begin to mature. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, repent. Recognize that you're an enemy of God. Allow the Spirit of God to bring truth to your life. 
through the realization of who Christ is. And then he gives you the belief and you're able to then testify a confession that Jesus is the son of God and then he rose from the dead. That is your foundation as a Christian. To live opposite of that truth makes no sense. Do you know what it means to have a belief in the confession that he's the son of God and that he rose from the dead? It changes your life if it's truly what you believe. Go to Romans 8, 34. Romans 8, verse 34. Again, scriptures to encourage you in the hope that you can have in the resurrection. Who then will condemn us? No, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Romans 10, verse 9. Huh. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to clean your life up. You don't. And a lot of people, when I sit with them and I hear them, and even I remember myself, like I'm too bad. I've done too much. I, I, I don't want to, no. I'm a, or I'm going to clean myself up and then I'll come to God. But that's not scriptural. If you could clean yourself up, then Christ wouldn't have had to die. So you're just announcing that shows that you're being deceived, making you God. No, the whole purpose of coming to Christ is I'm a sinner. I can't clean myself up. Remember, listen, y'all got your own testimony. Y'all too, if you're a Christian. But the darkest of the dark, hating Christians, hating Jesus, that's where I was. Living so far from him. And yet he met me right in the hour of need. He says, as those pills were going to my mouth to end my life, today you'll live. And I told you all, in that moment, as much as I hated Jesus, as much as I hated church, as much as I hated the whole concept of Christianity, in that moment, how did I respond? The pills dropped, my hands go over my head. It was just natural, like, oh God. And I said, oh God, Jesus, you're real. Listen, I chanted, I channeled, I did all this other stuff with this demonic realm. I had all these different voices speaking to me, leading me, guiding all this crazy stuff. But that voice, when that voice spoke, Jesus! And all of a sudden I began to have flashbacks. I hadn't thought about my Paul Paul in years. But all of a sudden, I'm sitting on the porch with him. I'm on my couch like this, like, oh. And all of a sudden, the, the fragrance of their yard and the, the surroundings of everything and sitting on the rocker with him and he would have his Bible and he would look at me and say, Robbie, Jesus is going to call you to preach. I 
was a wretched man. I had so many issues, so many addictions, so many desires, so much brokenness. But give them all to me, Rob. Because I've been with you since the beginning. And I'll work all of them out. And he has, you all. I couldn't do this. Listen, I couldn't do this. I would be elsewhere. <laughs> and he's not a respecter of persons. Just as he's done it for me and billions of others. <laughs> He wants to do it in your life. He wants to do it in your life. And it's just as simple as that. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. Listen to what you have to believe in. It's just not a statement. God, you raised him from the dead. And why did he have to raise him from the dead? To defeat sin and death. To give me a new life. And until you're ready for that, all you got is religion that's worthless. To truly confess, believe, And then it goes on. I just want to read verse 10. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. And listen, no man, no woman, no one can bring you to this point. It's the Holy Spirit. The Bible says it's the Spirit of God working in you, drawing you to himself. Come as you are. You don't have to worry about changing because if, if, if your motives are pure and they're spirit-led, you will be transformed. But you come. Oh, God. In all my mess and chaos and just junk, I recognize I'm a sinner. I'm living for myself. But in this understanding, in this revelation in which you are pleased to reveal yourself to me, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart, God, that you raised him from the dead to save me. Listen, you can't make this up. I don't know what's keeping you. From getting to the place that you allow the Spirit of God. You know, it's the Word of God that says it is His loving kindness that draws us to repentance. He's begun this in you. So we have to stop resisting. We have to stop making His teachings and His message and perverting it into what it's not. Listen, there's a, again, I can't say it enough. There's a lot of people who have a false sense of salvation and they're going to have a rude awakening. Yes. Mm-hmm. They have a rude awakening coming. How do I know then that I'm saved? Do you have you begun to see the transformation in your life? Not by your power. Huh? But through him. 
You're to begin to look like Christ. This is the standard that God has set. And the Bible says that he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. Unless you want to keep making excuses for not growing spiritually. No. If you keep resisting him, then he loves you enough to turn you over to what you want to be your master. And why would you choose another master when he's the ultimate one? Go to Acts. I just got four more scriptures. And then we're closing. Acts. Chapter 3. You said, Rob, you take so long. And I say, do you know, and I've said it over and over, I don't apologize for it because I've got two hours with you of your life for this week. And you've got everything else out there challenging you, feeding you, luring you. And if you're not growing, if you're not getting rooted, it's going to snatch you up. In fact, there's some of you sitting here today that's hearing the word of God, and you may even go, oh, yeah, man, oh, that sounds good. Oh, yeah, that's, oh, that's uplifting. But as soon as you walk out that door and the trials of life come, the word of God says that the enemy is going to choke it out of your life. The cares of this world will come, and the Bible says he'll snatch it out because your heart isn't on good soil. It is only those who receive the word of God that have a genuine heart of good soil that the Holy Spirit is plowed up, that you're giving, because he's not going to force you to make him Lord. But it's when you humble yourself. Cultivate my heart, Father. I want to receive your word that it may be rooted and planted and then produce fruit for my life. Oh, how I pray all of you would get up and your life will be fruitful this week from the word in which you've heard. But I know it's not the case. And so I say, God, have mercy. God, have mercy that you would desire Christ above all. And so, I don't want to keep you here long. But I understand the responsibility that I have as a shepherd, as a pastor, to feed you. I'm not with you every day to beat back the wolves. But I take the responsibility of a shepherd, of a pastor, very serious. Because I understand what the Word of God says. That those that he's called to this position, I didn't want to be a pastor. I fought him for years. But I understand the responsibility that I've got. And I don't want to dishonor God. I want to be able to give you the word so that you can be equipped. As the Holy Spirit comes and then begins to form it in you so that you can live your lives, you all. Acts chapter 3 verse 15 Peter's preaching to the religious leaders and this is what he says you killed the author of life but praise be to God that's not all he said but God raised him from the dead 
And we are witnesses of this fact. We have witnesses, not just then, but today. And for the generations to come, that Jesus Christ is resurrected. If he was still in the tomb, there wouldn't be transformation taking place throughout the earth of people who have turned because of his loving kindness to draw them to repentance and reveal himself to them. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom, and listen to this, and forgave all of our sins. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 2. Uh, Let's do one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, that a strip off, this is the scripture I've been saying throughout this morning, that a strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and that is run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, (laughs) disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. This is what he's done, you all. And we make him, that's why God, I get so, uh, we make him so weak. I mean, before I was a Christian, Christians were weak-willed people serving a a God that had no power. Do you understand truly who he is? I mean, he has defeated. And Christians, we don't pray from a place of defeat. We must grow, we must mature, and we must understand we we pray and we live from a place of victory. Like we, he's the author of life. He's the giver of life. We are to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us instead of making excuses for it. Well, you know, I just can't help myself. That's the problem. It's you. But what Christ has done, Christ has completed. It is finished. He is victorious. And we ought to start walking upright. You know, the hours I used to chant... The hours I used to do the most craziest things to feel as spiritual as I can <laughs> were all wasted. Because now that I know the author of life, it's not even me who's doing it, it's Him through me. And until we get out there and start living that we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, that we stop all this foolishness that we're doing in churches, that we start living upright lives, that we start believing 
and that we start moving in a direction that's opposite to how we used to live, that we begin to raise up a standard of righteousness for ourselves first, for our homes first, before we go demanding it of others. I've always said what we're doing out there to the lost is we're demanding them to live as Christians. And then we're damning them because they don't. Listen, you don't have to damn them. They already stand condemned. You're to do what Jesus did. He came to save them. He came to serve them. He came to love them, to tell them the truth. He didn't become them. He didn't join in their ways and in their chaos. No, he stood there. And he declared the truth. We are in a war, you all. And you're dealing with people's eternities. And that's why I keep challenging y'all. Stop caring so much about people's temporalness. Because I don't want to offend them. I don't want to hurt them. That may be the last moment you have with them. And then like I always said, then we all gather at funerals and we're all, we all pretend that they're in heaven. Well, you know. No, we don't know. Well, we can only hope. Yes, we can hope. But for God's sakes, I mean, we got to wake up. We got to wake up. We got to start believing in the one in whom has been resurrected from the dead. There's no other religion. And I, trust me, I didn't study all of them, but I studied the majority of them. And I keep telling you, what they all have in common is little bits of truth. That's right. They just don't have truth. Because truth, again, is not a concept. It's a person. You go and look. Not that I want you to go study the darkness. But they all have a little bit of truth wedged in them. But he is the truth. He is the way. And he is the life. There's a way in which you ought to be living, you all. And it's unto Christ. Ah, Finally, I know Revelation. We're done. All can eat and be merry and be happy. But oh, how I pray to God that you heard today and that the message of hope of the resurrection is striking a chord within you. Either you're a Christian and it's encouraging you to keep pressing in and pressing on. And if you're not a Christian, that it really is challenging you. To say, why do I keep turning from God? Why? Why do I keep desiring the temporal things that's just destroying me? Like Jesus himself says, do you value your soul? And I've shared this with you a while ago. Like, do you value your soul? Because what you can gain everything in this world. But if you lose that, man, and for what? I just had to have it. I just had to do it. I just I can't live without them. I just can't live without it. I need it. You understand? That's the, that's the nature of the flesh that only knows how to die. I don't, I, I don't want to give it up. No one's forcing you. It's like I was saying. We go out there and we tell people to be a Christian. Or then, then we'll layer it with this too. God is going to bless you. 
Life is going to, you're going to live the best life now. And we're giving them the benefits of the kingdom without first giving them the king. You see how the enemy works. He's quick to deceive. He's quick. The Bible says that even the demons tremble at this word. And I would dare to say the majority of us haven't trembled this week for the darkness that we're entertaining. That's why when Jesus showed up on the scenes, the demons screeched, Ah, is it time? Do you understand the authority? And yet we make him this weak will. We, We make him so common, like as if he's one of these lesser gods. And we're doing it in the church. People have such a wrong, twisted concept of who God is. And the majority of them have sat in church for quite some time. But hear Jesus' words as we end today. From the book of Revelation. (laughs) Chapter 1, verse 17 through 18. John writes, when I saw him, who? Jesus. I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. This is the resurrected Christ, you all. This is Jesus. I'm going to close this with this last song of worship. (sighs) Then I'll close this in prayer.
eyes of peace Author and maker of everything Defender, deliverer, king of kings He is